Well, we are continuing on in our series through the Heidelberg Catechism. And today we look at Lord's Day 3, which you can see written out for you on our sermon notes page. And before we begin our study, let's responsibly read Lord's Day 3 together. If you would, please rise as we read these Q&As. I'll read the questions and then we can all read the answers together. So starting with question 6, our catechism asks... Did God create man so wicked and perverse? No, God created man good and in his own image, that is, in true righteousness and holiness, so that he might truly know God his creator, love him with all his heart, and live with God in eternal happiness for his praise and glory. Then where does man's corrupt nature come from? From the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise. This fall has so poisoned our nature that we are all conceived and born in sin. But are we so corrupt that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined toward all evil? Yes, unless we are born again by the Spirit of God. Amen. You may be seated. And now let's turn to some of the biblical evidence for the catechism's answers uh, by turning to our sermon text in John chapter 3. And while I'll be referencing John 1, 3, 1 through 15 throughout, for, for time's sake, we're just going to read verses 1 through 8. John 3, 1 through 8. Pay careful attention, for this is the word of God. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Well, thus ends the reading of God's word. Let us now pray and ask for his help. O Lord, Open our hearts and our minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you have to say to us today. Amen. Amen. Well, let's imagine for just a moment that in order to remain a member in good standing of this church, you had to pass a series of exams on theology, church history, and Bible knowledge. Everything is writing on this exam. 
your reputation, your standing in the church, even the respect of your spouse and children. Sounds terrible, right? But now imagine in this imaginary scenario, you are given a choice. You could either take the exam yourself, or you could appoint Pastor Danny to take it for you. Which would you choose? Well, of course, we would all choose Pastor Danny. I mean, he's been to seminary, he's written books, he has a PhD. Surely, we would, when we have so much writing on this exam, we would want to choose one of the best among us. It's a a no-brainer. Now, let's suppose we could choose the most righteous person among us to stand before God for us. How do you think the best person that humanity could produce would measure up in God's holy sight? Well, in John chapter chapter 3, we see a very similar thing happening. The best person that the, the Jewish people could produce at that time stood before Jesus' holy gaze. And as we see how he measured up in God's sight, by extension we see how we, far less committed than he, fare in God's sight. So we will look at our passage under three points. First, we'll see Nicodemus sees Jesus in the dark. That's the first point. Second point, Jesus sees Nicodemus in the light. And then the third point, the Spirit causes us to see Jesus and believe. So let's turn to our first point. Nicodemus sees Jesus in the dark. And so as we turn our attention to John 3, we see from the very first verse the impressiveness of Nicodemus in man's sight. It says that Nicodemus was a man of the Pharisees. But he wasn't just a mere Pharisee at the start of his career. No, John says that he was a ruler of the Jews. This means that Nicodemus was a highly respected teacher of God's law with great influence among the people. So when you heard the name Nicodemus, you thought, holy, gifted, wise. That is how the world knew Nicodemus, but that is not how he truly was before God. For we already know at this point in John's gospel that Jesus is the word of God made flesh. That means to see Jesus is to see God's glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father. To see Jesus is to see the true light, which gives light to all men. To stand before Jesus is to stand before God. And John tells us that this man, Nicodemus, who was praised by the world, he came to Jesus at night in the dark. And here John is being ironic. 
He wants us to imagine talking to someone in great darkness, in the thick of night, when you can kind of make out a person's image, but, but it's too dark to see their particulars. It's like you're, you're talking to a shadow. You see, but, but in a real sense, you, you don't. And that darkness characterizes Nicodemus' entire conversation with Jesus. He sees Jesus, but in a more real sense, in a saving sense, he doesn't see him. His vision is clouded by darkness. And listen to his fuzzy vision in verse 2. He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So Nicodemus, he sees Jesus. He confesses him as a a teacher come from God. He recognizes that that the signs he performs means that God is with him. He truly sees Jesus, but his vision is blurry. For Jesus is not just some gifted teacher sent by God. This is God himself with a truly human nature. This is not just like any other man like Moses, but this is the one who appeared to Moses in the burning bush. This is the one who led Moses in a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. This is the one who spoke to Moses on the mountain so holy that all of Israel feared to approach. But Nicodemus did not see Jesus as he truly was, for he saw him in the dark. Well, it may have been dark outside, but Jesus' vision was not clouded by the night or by Nicodemus' reputation. But Jesus saw Nicodemus for who he truly was. He saw him in the light. And so now, as we look at our second point, we discover what Jesus saw when he looked at Nicodemus, and by extension, what he sees when he looks at you. Keep in mind, Nicodemus was one of the best that the Jews could produce. What did Jesus see when he looked upon one of mankind's best. Jesus saw a man who was blind to the kingdom of God. In verse 3, Jesus said, unless he is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In his current state in of himself, Nicodemus and you are blind. You cannot see God. You cannot see his salvation. You cannot see his loving kindness. You cannot even see your own sin, the, the very thing that is causing your blindness. You walk around like Nicodemus, seeing partially but never fully 
Seeing Christ presented to you every Sunday, but walking away saying, well, that was a good teaching, but never, God met me today. You see, partially, but not savingly, you and Nicodemus are blind. But you and Nicodemus are not just blind. You are exiled from God's kingdom. In verse 5, Jesus said that unless you are born of water and the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Your entrance is denied. You are exiled, pushed away, banished from God and his kingdom. But you are not just blind and exiled, you are also foolish and unbelieving. For even to the wise and spiritual Nicodemus, Jesus said, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not believe these things? If I had told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? You may try to hide in the darkness, but Jesus exposes you in the light. You are blind to God and exiled from him. God's ways, they seem like foolishness, and you doubt him and his good plans. And this is a description of one of mankind's best. And to a passage like this, our catechism, it rightly pauses to reflect upon this rather depressing view of mankind. Our catechism asks, if it is true that we are this way, that we are spiritually blind, exiled, foolish, and unbelieving, did God make us this way? Is he to blame for our wickedness and perversion? And with the entire Christian tradition, our catechism says, no. Because our present condition was not mankind's original condition. And here, our catechism, it it models for us what it looks like to be a good Bible reader. Where should we turn when thinking about the condition in which God originally created us? Where does the catechism turn? It's Genesis, exactly. For it's in Genesis 1 and 2 that we see that God didn't create us wicked, but he created us good. Genesis 1 verse 31, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. As you might recall, throughout Genesis 1, God declared his work good several times. But it wasn't until the the final creation of humanity that God declared his work very good. So here we have the, the goodness and the righteousness of God at stake. Can a good and a just God declare a perverse and wicked people very good? Such a thought is outrageous. 
But the argument does not solely rest in God's declaration that we were very good. The Catechism points out that we were created in God's very image. And that comes straight from Genesis 1, 26 through 27, where God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. So we do not dare think that God is perverse and wicked. And to be created in his image, in part, means that we, are, we were created in righteousness and holiness just as, as he is. Well, the last part of Q&A 6 is significant in light of Jesus' description of Nicodemus. Nicodemus was blind to the kingdom of God. But according to our catechism, we were not made blind, but we were created to truly know God, our creator. Nicodemus was foolish and unbelieving. But we were created not only to believe in God, but to love him with all of our heart. Nicodemus was exiled from God's kingdom. But we were originally created to live with God in eternal happiness for his praise and glory. So in sum, the the blame, it cannot be placed upon God. Then Q&A 7 asks, who is to blame then? If we were not originally created like we are now, like Nicodemus was in John 3, then how did we get here? And again, our catechism models for us how to read our Bibles. Where should we turn when we think about the origin of our depravity and sin? Genesis. We turn to Genesis 3, to the fall. Our corrupt nature comes from Adam and Eve's disobedience. In Genesis 1 through 3, we see that God made a covenant with Adam and through Adam with all mankind. And like Pastor Danny in our opening illustration, Adam acted as our representative. If he passed the covenantal test, we would also have reaped the benefits of eternal life, of entering into God's rest. But if Adam failed to obey the terms of the covenant, he would die. And we would also die in him. And as we all know, Adam failed to obey God's covenant and he ate of the forbidden fruit, subjecting himself and all of those that he represented to spiritual and physical death. Through Adam's exile from the garden, we were all exiled from God. We have all been condemned in Adam. But we have inherited not only Adam's condemnation, but also his corruption. In the Catechism, it notes that this fall, it so poisoned our nature, so corrupted our nature, that we are all conceived and born in sin. 
Now, I saw this firsthand when I visited my nephews this Christmas. No one had to teach them how to act out in violence, to throw temper tantrums, or to monopolize their toys. They instinctively know how to sin. Their very nature has been corrupted from their very conception. And so my siblings, they have their jobs cut out for them. Kindness must be taught. Controlling their anger and and sharing their toys has to be learned. Maybe one day, after much instruction, their kids might learn how to cover up their depravity, like Nicodemus, so that when the world looks upon them, they might say words like wise, holy, and good. But fundamentally, when you strip back each one of us beyond the niceties that we've learned, we are still those corrupt children who have a poisoned, corrupted nature from Adam. We can fool the world, but we can't fool God. And in fact, Q&A 8, it presses our depravity even further. And it asks, but are we so corrupt that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined toward all evil? (laughs) Did you hear that? Totally unable to do any good. Are you really that bad? Inclined toward all evil. Is that really a description of you in your natural state? Our catechism says yes. And this answer is just synthesizing several verses. I'll just, I'll just give you two. Romans 8, 7 through 8. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Get this. Indeed, it cannot. Can you do any good? You cannot. Verse 8. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Or in our passage, Jesus said to Nicodemus, Unless one is born again, he cannot See the kingdom of God. So you cannot submit to God's law. You cannot please God. You cannot see the kingdom. You cannot enter the kingdom, Jesus would say. Brothers and sisters, in yourself, you are totally unable to do any good before God. You really are that bad. But you will note that our catechism, it does not end there. And Jesus does not end there either. And in fact, this brings us into our last point. The catechism says, in essence, yes, you are totally unable to do any good, and you are inclined to all evil, unless you are born again by the Spirit of God. Jesus told Nicodemus, he cannot enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, there is hope for you yet. 
Jesus reveals a way in which you can see the kingdom of God, a way that you can enter the kingdom of God. It is by being born again by the Spirit of God. And this second birth, it is of a spiritual nature. He's not talking about entering into your mother's womb again. He's talking about the Spirit's sovereign work to cause spiritually dead hearts to come alive. And this is not something that you can do. This is something that God's Spirit does to you according to his own sovereign good pleasure. You contribute nothing to this. This is totally and completely a one-sided work of God's grace. Jesus said that the Spirit, he's unpredictable. You cannot know where the Spirit come from, comes from or where he will go. You do not know which spiritually dead person he will cause to come alive. You cannot control the Spirit. But Jesus says he is, he is like the wind in that you can hear him. That is to say, you can know when the Spirit is working. Well, how can you know? How can you know that you have been born again by the Spirit of God? Well, you can know that you have been born again when you no longer see Jesus in the dark. The Spirit, who first shines the spotlight upon your sin, as he's been doing this entire service, and then... He shines the light upon Christ. And when the Spirit shows Christ, he shows him not just as a good teacher, but as our suffering Savior. For Jesus said in verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This is what the born-again Christian sees when he looks at Jesus. He sees the Son of Man lifted up on a tree. Just as Moses was, had lifted up the serpent and all who looked upon it were healed, so the Son of Man lifted up on the cross, and all who see him with the eyes of spirit-produced faith are saved. This evening, Jesus has exposed us in the light, and we've seen our spiritual deadness and corruption. But now, brothers and sisters, we must look outside of ourselves to Christ, We cannot stand in God's light for long before we melt under his holy fire. The spotlight rightfully belongs to Christ, who is a better representative than Adam or Nicodemus or even Pastor Danny. For he obeyed God perfectly. 
And his perfect obedience in life and in death has been credited to us by faith. And now, by the Spirit, we who were once foolish and unbelieving, blind and exiled, are now able to see Christ and to believe that his obedience and righteousness is enough for us. So, brothers and sisters, do not leave here naked with your sins exposed, but leave clothed in the righteousness of Christ. For if you are trusting in him, you are no longer dead in Adam, but by the Spirit, you have been made alive in Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, would you shine the spotlight on our sin so that we might not be deceived thinking that even a a godly reputation is enough to stand before you. But then, O Lord, would you move the spotlight upon Christ so that we might see him as our suffering Savior, as our risen Lord, as our conquering King, as our perfect mediator. Would you use the preaching of this gospel to awaken dead hearts to newness of life? And would you cause it to refresh us all in the hope of the gospel? We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.